Hi, I'm Sherry Todd, a former DJ, now a podcaster. Every week, I hope to take you on an adventure that informs, inspires, and starts conversations. I want to get honest, and I want to get to the heart of life and love. There's going to be good days, bad days, good shows, bad shows. And just like life, we have to figure it out. And I want to figure it out loud. Welcome to Sherry. I'm Sherry Todd, and this is Sherapy. I'm not a therapist or psychiatrist. I'm a survivor of child sexual abuse, sharing my journey in hopes of healing. The issues I may talk about are from research and personal experience and may be a trigger for some, so please take that into account as you listen. So, I hope everyone is doing okay. I know it's a very anxious time right now. I know I've been having a lot of anxiety trying to stay busy and self-distract myself, like cleaning projects and trying to work in the yard in between the rain. I've also limited my social media and news because it's driving me crazy. It's just too much. So in between washing my hands and limiting my toilet paper use, because, you know, I guess I have to, (laughs) I'm watching a lot of Netflix, Hulu, and the like. So far, everyone in the house, including my mom, are fine. Right now, I think how fortunate my mom is because with her Alzheimer's, She has no idea what's going on. So hopefully we can all look back on this and we could say, wow, we really overreacted. But, you know, I say better safe than sorry, right? So onward. Thank you for tuning in to part seven of my eight-part series, Healing from Child Sexual Abuse. This episode, Self-Esteem and Trusting Yourself. Self-esteem is a central issue for many survivors. When children are abused, they are harmed at a core level. And one of the areas hardest hit is a developing sense of self-respect and self-worth. This lack of self-esteem often continues into adulthood. You may experience it as a constant feeling of worthlessness, a nagging voice that tells you that you didn't do enough, that you didn't do it right, or that if you did, it was a fluke and next time you'll screw it up. At the most basic level, you may believe that you don't deserve anything good in your life. Your feelings about yourself may fluctuate wildly. You may feel okay about yourself most of the time. Self-critical feelings lying dormant until you have some kind of setback, a loss, a period of change, an argument with someone you love. Then you suddenly lose touch with the good things about yourself and fall into a pit of self-loathing and despair. The self-love you've nurtured so carefully evaporates like mist. Feelings of self-hatred can erupt seemingly out of the blue. A small interaction can trigger an avalanche of self-doubt and uncertainty. You get one problem wrong on an exam and you say to yourself, I'm a stupid idiot. You make a well-thought-out decision to leave a job where you're underpaid and treated badly, and instead of feeling proud, you're sure no one will ever hire you again. Even though you're taking care of yourself, you somehow end up feeling wrong and ineffective again. Self-esteem is experienced in the moment, and your feelings about yourself will fluctuate as you move through the healing process. When you're first facing your grief and anger or struggling with the impact of abuse on your life, you may feel worse than you felt before. Often shame, powerlessness, and self-hatred are bottled up with memories of abuse, and as the memories come through, those feelings do too. 
When you are abused, it's likely that you were given the message, directly or indirectly, that the abuse was your fault. You might have been humiliated or called a liar. Many survivors were told that they would never amount to anything. You may still be receiving this message. One survivor whose poem was published in a local newspaper sent a copy of it to her mother. Her mother replied, It was just beginner's luck. You'll never write another one. Another woman, elected homecoming queen in high school, had such a distorted image of herself that she was convinced that her friends had chosen her only because they pitied her. Even if you weren't given such messages directly, the very fact that you were abused taught you that you were powerless, alone, not worthy of protection or love. If you were ignored or neglected, your basic value was denied. You learned that you were undeserving and able to have an impact on the world. When your worth is negated often enough, you begin to believe there's something wrong with you. As a result of these childhood messages, you may believe that you're unlovable, that nothing you do matters, and even that you don't deserve to live. At the beginning of your healing, you may experience negative messages constantly. But as time goes by and your basic self-image starts to shift, these messages will come less frequently. They will stand out more distinctively against a background of basically liking yourself. While you may think that such thoughts come without cause, they're usually sparked by something. Each time you feel bad about yourself, try to isolate the thought or the event that set off that feeling. At first, this won't be easy, but with practice, you'll be able to identify the source. So ask yourself, when did I start to feel this way? Did I have a disturbing conversation with someone? Did I receive an upsetting phone call, email, or letter? Did someone scare me or make me angry? Is there a reason I'm feeling particularly vulnerable right now? Once you find the event or thought that started this feeling, ask yourself, is this feeling familiar? Search back to the first time you felt that way, the first time you were told that particular lie. What was the context? Who told you that you were selfish? Who implied you were in that way? Allow yourself to feel the pain and shame of a child you once were. Allow your compassion for her, your anger at those who hurt her, and any other feelings to rise. Recognizing and expressing these feelings helps to release the grip of negative internalized messages. You feel like this not because it's true, but because you're conditioned to feel this way. The capacity to set limits is essential to feeling good about yourself. Many survivors have not known how to define their own time, to protect their bodies, to put themselves first, to say no. Although learning to say no is difficult, it is a relief to stop doing what you don't want to do. By setting limits, you protect yourself and give yourself freedom at the same time. As you say no to other people, you start to say yes to yourself, but saying no isn't easy. As women, we've been taught to please others, to put their needs first. Watch for situations in your life in which you want to say no. Start with what's easiest and build up to the harder ones. When a friend wants you to go out to lunch, but you set aside time to play the piano, and playing is what you really want to do, say no. 
When your six-year-old asks you to get her the milk, tell her she's capable of getting it herself and that you're sure she can do a good job of it. If you've never or hardly ever said no, your first attempt may feel awkward or even rude. When you feel that you don't have the right to say no, or when you're new at it, you may add awkward explanations or refuse more strongly than necessary. Yet saying no doesn't have to be loud or hostile. As you feel more secure in your ability to set clear boundaries, you'll be able to decline with a simple statement, no, I don't want to do this, no thanks, no, I'd rather not. If you've been taking care of other people and saying yes all your life, you may encounter some resistance when you start to say no. People may say you were nicer before, that they prefer the old you. On the other hand, you may find that your honesty and clarity are respected by friends who are glad that you're finally taking care of yourself. When children are abused, it's threatening for them to trust their own perceptions. It was unbearable to acknowledge that the neighbor who pushed you on the swings and gave you birthday presents also made you touch his penis. It was too terrifying to admit that your mother who went to work to support you and stayed up late to make you a dollhouse, had a scary smile on her face when she touched your genitals. So you pretend they weren't doing these things or that these things were really okay. The lengths to which children go to distort their perceptions are striking. If the significant adult in your life told you that your experiences didn't really happen, or that they happen in ways radically different from how you perceive them, you probably became confused and distressed, unsure what was real. A father can stroke his daughter's breast and explain it away by saying, I'm just tucking you in. A daughter can tell her mother that her stepfather touched her in a funny way. The mother can respond with, oh honey, that was just a dream. Family members aren't the only ones to perpetuate this invalidation. Many young girls tried to tell teachers, counselors, ministers, or other adults only to have them say, you must be mistaken, your Uncle Jimmy is a deacon in the church. Survivors have gone to therapists for help and been told, you should be over it by now, or it was just your sister, all kids play doctors. It can also be terrifying to trust your inner voice if you're afraid of what it will tell you. Although there are many reasons why it's difficult to have faith in your own perceptions, it is possible to develop a capacity to trust your inner voice. Within all of us, there's a wise, authentic inner voice that can tell us how we feel. If it's been covered over or if you don't have much patience listening to that voice, it may be very small, just a pipsqueak. Yet, it's there. And the more you listen and act on it, the stronger and clearer that voice will grow. And with child assault prevention programs, children are taught to identify the voice inside that warns them that something isn't right. They refer to this intuition as a oh feeling. With encouragement, children easily recognize this feeling as danger. Uh-oh, something's wrong here. Everyone experiences her inner voice differently. You may have bad dreams. You may get headaches. You may become exhausted. You may have a sudden urge to binge on cookies. Or you may have noticed that you've cleaned the house twice in two days. The important thing is not what you've experienced, but what you recognize is its message. 
What about creating a positive self-image? Learning to love and accept yourself, your strengths, weaknesses, personality traits, and just basic nature, it's a capacity that grows over a lifetime. Now here are some things you can do to take positive steps in creating a positive self-image. Do things you're proud of. It's impossible to feel good about yourself if you are doing things that you aren't proud of. If you are gambling compulsively, not spending enough time with your children, or avoiding therapy, you're not going to feel self-respect. Your self-esteem will improve when you work to change problematic behaviors and start acting in ways you feel good. Accentuate the positive. If you're used to seeing yourself as ineffective or worthless, you may not notice the wonderful things about yourself. Try making a list of all the things you do well. Include everything. I make perfect fried eggs. I can whistle on pitch. I'm good at untying knots. And then make another list of what you like about yourself. I like that I'm a good listener. I like my feet. I like my stubborn determination. Read your list to yourself when you're feeling self-critical. Find an appreciative friend and read it out loud. Or ask friends what they like about you. Listen and take notes. Take in the good things that people say about you as you begin to surround yourself with people who genuinely like and respect you. You will hear more and more positive things about yourself. At first, the simple, genuine appreciation of who you are can be so unfamiliar that you don't even notice it. Train yourself to hear the positive things people reflect back to you. They shouldn't go to waste. Next is visualization. Visualizing yourself as you want to be is an effective way to move toward your goals. You can imagine various scenes that show you as a more capable, powerful person, like you may brilliantly argue a case in front of a jury, or you're receiving your black belt in karate, or simply walking along the street with your back straight and your head held high. You can visualize yourself in healthy relationships or having fun. You can imagine whole scenarios. One woman who felt as if she was dirty, as if she was covered with shit. Imagine scraping off all the shit and throwing it back at her abuser. Afterwards, she reported feeling great. Find a task. If you're sinking into quicksand of self-hatred and desperate desperation, it can help to get planted into the present by taking on some manageable tasks that you can handle competently. You may want to clean house, cook a pot of soup, plant some flowers. When you feel miserable, accomplishing something helps. Take breaks. Although a time of intense involvement in the healing process is often certain, as well as useful, it's good to stop occasionally and appreciate how far you've come. If you felt discouraged that you still have the same basic problems, you need to remind yourself that this is only a partial assessment. In reality, the severity of your problems may have lessened, and the way you handle them may be radically different. Taking breaks can help you see that you are more than a reaction to abuse. Acknowledging the other parts of your life affirms that you are a complex, multifaceted person and that even if abuse issues loom over much of your life, they still do not gobble up every bit of it. And finally, live for yourself. We all have the right to make the choices in life that we believe will bring satisfaction. We have the right to determine our own values, lifestyle, and priorities. Try approaching your life from the inside. 
according to your own values and what's important to you, rather than in response to other people's expectations. Thinking for yourself and making your own decisions can be frightening. Letting go of other people's expectations or their approval can leave you feeling empty for a time. And yet, seeing yourself as an independent adult who could stand up for your own choices frees you to accept yourself as you are. And that's it for part seven, self-esteem and trusting yourself. Now, everything I spoke about and so much more can be found in the book, The Courage to Heal by Ellen Bass and Laura Davis. I highly recommend this book for survivors of child sexual abuse. It's available on Amazon. If you have any thoughts or questions, my email address is podcast at com. Podcast at com. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook or Instagram. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Next week, part eight of our eight-part series of Healing from Child Sexual Abuse. We're going to talk about forgiveness and spirituality. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to Sherapy. Please stay safe out there. Stay calm, everybody. And as always, remember to embrace your voice. See you. Bye. You can find Sherapy with Sherry Todd in your iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, or other favorite podcast apps. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.